Revelation chapter 1. We're going to go ahead and keep going here, go verse by verse through Revelation. So I, I want to warn you, uh, if you're going to be here sticking around for the Revelation study, just so you know, we're going to start out kind of slow, okay? Um, but as we get going through the book of Revelation, we will definitely pick up pace. So don't get discouraged if you know we're, we're a few weeks in the first few chapters, all right? Not going not to get off to a real fast start. But it will pick up pace, uh, like I said before, as we get going. So sometimes I'll use the board. Um, I'll do a little better job than I did last week. I didn't realize until I got done that it was really not very readable. So uh, I'll boil it down and try to make it bigger when I use it. And I will be using it from time to time, um, but not every time. So you ready? The Revelation of St. John the Divine, Chapter 1, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. To show unto his servants things that must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which was, and which is, excuse me, and which was, and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, We'll see if we get down through these six verses today. All right, let's pray and then we'll start going uh, verse by verse here until about two o'clock. Father, I love you, and I thank you so much, Lord, for the day you've given to us already. Thank you for the privilege it is to be here. Uh, thank you for the folks that stuck, ar- stuck around for this afternoon service, and I pray, God, you would uh, help us out now as we get into your words. Uh, strengthen our faith in the Word of God and help us to realize what a wonderful book we have in front of us. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may, be, we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And I ask you, Lord, to equip me and to enable me, to gift me, Father, to be able to teach your words uh, the right way, Father. I want to give them sound doctrine, but in such a way also that will make sense and that will help them, that some things could uh, click, so to speak, and our faith will be strengthened in your word. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Notice there in your King James Bible, you got the revelation of St. John the Divine. Uh, interesting to me, like I showed you last time in the introduction, how the world has, has done a whole lot to attack uh, the book of Revelation. The religious crowds specifically have done a lot to discredit it, uh, to make sure that they muddy it up so bad you can't figure it out. So they'll tell you stuff like, well, Revelation is just the hardest book to understand. Revelation is nowhere near as hard to understand as Ezekiel is. Ezekiel is much more difficult. You want a tough book, go to Ezekiel. Um, they say Revelation's hard to understand. They say that Revelation's full of figurative and typology and it actually represents different things, which is all so subjective that we don't really even know what Revelation is if that's the argument. Uh, we don't believe that here, and, and specifically I, as your pastor, don't believe that. I believe God said what he meant meant what he said. I think that the book of Revelation is actually very easy to understand. It's just difficult to believe. That, that, that might be the issue. Uh, belief in the Word of God is the issue more than anything. So you'll have people constantly attacking the Bible. And I showed you in the introduction that this thing is legitimate. And it's laid out the way it's laid out on purpose. And that there's a whole lot to it. 
So I find it interesting then that we don't even get into the first verse and we find scholars beginning to attack the Bible. What they do is, you'll notice it says the revelation of St. John the Divine. And that's their issue. Well, it's not the revelation of St. John, it's the revelation given to St. John. And the reason that they say that is because they're stupid. Um, They don't understand prepositions. It's a preposition of is being used. A preposition in just English grammar can point to a, a noun or it can point to the object. So there's literally no problem with it saying the revelation of St. John the Divine because in chapter 1, verse 1, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, which is it? Of Jesus Christ or of St. John? So in English grammar, it's totally accurate to say the revelation of St. John, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of John about Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So it's simply a matter of understanding the English. That's all. Uh, The book of Revelation is written about Jesus Christ, which God gave to John. Okay? So it's it's the revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ. He is going to come and he's going to reveal himself in person. Every eye shall see him. He's going to be sitting, ruling on a throne in Jerusalem. And what a day that's going to be, man. I mean, I've believed in him for a long time. I've felt him in my heart. I've seen him in the scriptures. I've seen him work in my life. I know that Jesus Christ is real. I know that he exists. I know he's there. And I know I got the right one based on this book. And I'm telling you, I know for a fact this book is the word of God. There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever. I mean, most all of you know this, but I'll repeat it here quickly. I, I set out years ago to try to see... If I was just brainwashed by my culture and and brainwashed by the way I was raised my whole life, so programmed in my mind to believe a certain thing, see, that's what I'm just that much of a maverick and a rebel. I should say I was that much of a maverick and a rebel that I was like, yeah, I don't know. And so I, I personally set out to say, okay, God, is the Bible your words or not? And then I went from there, is the King James Bible the word of God or not? But I started out with, is the Bible your word or not? And if the Bible's your word, I want you to show me in the Bible itself proof that this is the word of God. So there has to be things in here that men didn't know that God put down before men know it, before men knew it. And, and there's, there's well over a hundred scientific facts written down in Scripture thousands of years ago, long before science ever knew it. And the more research you do on that, the more you're going to believe that book in your lap is real. And it's the words of God. It's amazing how God's revealed himself in that book in front of you. And he's revealed himself to me through the Bible. I believe it with all my heart. Uh, if I didn't believe it, I, don't, I literally wouldn't believe anything. I mean, if I, did, if I stopped believing that Jesus Christ is God and that he created the heaven and the earth and he died on a cross for my sins and he was buried and he rose again the third day, and that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by him. If I stop believing he answered prayer, I would literally wind up in a nut house. Because I've seen it happen too much. I've seen him answer prayer. There's too much proof. If he did not exist, I wouldn't be sure I exist right now. That's how sure I am. Because this book reveals him. And the the book of Revelation itself is a revelation of Jesus Christ 
on another level as compared to the other books of the Bible. And we'll get to that in just a second. But the, the devil hates this book. And I'll tell you who else hates this book, the book of Revelation. Now, I'm not just talking about the Bible, the book of Revelation. Religious leaders hate this book. Because if this thing is accurate, then it means the kingdom is not here right now. But if this is not accurate, now we can go figurative and I can say he's ruling in heaven and his representative is us on earth and we're bringing people into the kingdom. So the ultimate ruler is Jesus Christ on the throne in heaven, but he's left in authority on earth and we're his representatives on earth, that just makes a man God over other men and enables him to build a religion, get filthy rich, control people, play mind games, and do whatever he wants with their lives with no authority to check the leader. You see why it's so important for you to believe every word of your Bible? If you don't have a Bible, you cannot be sure you have any truth at all. The argument nowadays they're trying to brainwash the kids with, you know, is science. Like, like if that has not imploded upon itself, nothing has. That whole argument is a straw house that's been blown down. And, and, and I find it easier and easier to even debate the brightest minds on the subject because it's like, well, time out for a quick second here. Science is the answer, right? Yes. Okay, so like X chromosome, Y chromosome, like, Explain that to me. Well, they were actually born in some other body. You just went off into the spiritual. You, that's not science. I mean, it's imploding upon itself. They're even saying that they don't even have arguments to defend their own belief system. But for centuries, for, for years, they made fun of you for believing a Bible. Oh, you're leaning on that crutch. When what you believe is more knowledgeable, has more wisdom and understanding, has more scientific backing, stands up to reason and proof yes. more than anything else, more than any other belief system in the world. Yes. Yes. I like watching these animal shows. They put me to sleep. I, the TV has become, like, you can preach against TV all you want. That's your business. If you don't have one in your house, knock yourself out. That's great. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You're more holy than I am. But I like to sleep at night. And I've got a mind that if I don't focus it, it's just got like a hundred different things going on at once all the time. Okay, that's just the way it is. So if you're ever talking to me and I'm listening to you, I really am listening to you. And then something happens, it's like squirrel. I'm like, oh, where? You know, like I'm, it's not personal. I'm working on it, okay? But that is my mind, all right? So like nothing is better to me than to put on some animal show. I like peaceful things. We're really careful about the ratings. So if it's high rated, it's got to be for fear. You understand what I'm saying? Like not a bunch of other nasty stuff. Because that puts me to sleep at night. Like watching crocodiles grab something and rip its limbs off, shake it, and big chunks of flesh are flying in different directions. Like, oh, this is so relaxing. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just clean in its nature. And so, so you watch some of these shows, you know, uh, Most Dangerous Animals, 72 Most Dangerous Animals Asia or something like that. And they're, they're interviewing one of their religious leaders. And he's talking about these animals that are most dangerous animals and how many people they kill and how dangerous they are. And then he's talking about the gods and why they still protect these animals that are becoming such a problem like people 
are, are dying, because, but they still worship. The, I mean, you're going to tell me that makes more sense than me believing the revelation of St. John the Divine is exactly what God meant to say, so don't mess with it? That makes more sense? Oh, a 600-winged angel appeared to the prophet and gives him this another testament of Jesus Christ that's so far out in left field. I mean, you're going to tell me that makes more sense? And all the women have to be these chaste, godly women while the men can have as many wives as they want? You're telling me holy underwear really makes sense. That, that's actually a Mormon doctrine. You're laughing. You should be laughing. Oh, you're, you're going to tell me that, that, that a pedophile, Muhammad, who she taught us that some of the ones in our local area, the reason that they wear black is mourning the, he took his cousin's wife or his brother's wife, he killed his brother or his cousin to take her wife or something like that. So they still believe Islam and they believe the prophet, but they dress in such a way to mourn their prophet's behavior. That's why some of them wear all black. It's a protest against what they believe themselves. <laughs> you're going to tell me your God's so impotent that he has to have your sword to spread his truth to conquer the world. He doesn't have a sword himself. You see, the God you're looking at here, the revelation of Jesus Christ, what you're going to see very shortly is he comes back and a sword comes out of his own mouth and wipes out his own enemies. He doesn't need your sword to do it. So like we were talking about this morning, the dichotomy of this battle. It, it, you ain't using the sword. You ain't using the sword the carnal way. You don't need to. What you got is a lot more powerful than that. You got Jesus Christ. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants. Stop. I told you we were going to make a lot of headway, didn't I? God, show, God gave unto who? God gave unto Jesus Christ the revelation. God's speaking to himself. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. God gives the revelation to Jesus to give to us. Huh? I told you this morning, if you think talking about the dichotomy of the Christian life, the flesh versus the spirit, and the war that we're in, if you think that's difficult, wait until we get into this. Uh, M.R. DeHaan said this, if you could understand the Trinity, you'd lose your mind because you can't fathom it. But if you don't believe it, you'll lose your soul. You know, you know, that dichotomy stuff sometimes doesn't make sense, you know. Like Brother Lynch used to say a lot, which I th it was Brother Lynch, he said, if it don't make sense, there's a buck in it. He'd also say this, if it don't make sense, God ain't in it. Well, that's awfully practical. I mean, that rules out the spiritual. Yeah, but if you can always explain everything there is about it, God didn't do it. It makes a lot of sense that God parted a Red Sea and allowed the children of Israel to cross over. Can you explain how that happened, though? Do you, understand, do you understand what I'm saying, the difference? I can't understand the Trinity. But God made man in his own image, right? I am a Trinity. I got a body, I got a soul, and I got a spirit. So the spirit is that life. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. 
So your spirit's the spirit of a man. It's, it's the life in you. Your soul, that's like your psyche. That's like your personality. That's the in-between. And then you got flesh. The old preachers used to always explain it like an like a, like a old-fashioned tire. They had the outside thick rubber, and inside there was a tube. And then you fill that tube with air. That inside tube uh, contoured, it, it fashioned itself to the contour of the tire around, that, uh, that it was around, right? That was around it, right? That's the soul. But the spirit's the breath inside that that inflates it. When the spirit leaves, you're gone. You're not there anymore. The flesh, it's, 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 it's nothing. It's just, it's just a machine. Stuff is happening that they still can't figure out everything going on in you because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. All the cells in your body replicating and, and dying off and rebuilding. And it's just absolutely unbelievably wild. The transporting of oxygen and the way the blood flows and you eat food that goes into your stomach and cast out in the draught, so we say. <laughs> and yet nutrients get pulled out of that and get shuttled into the blood and get sent to the muscles and to the cells of the body. And it's just wild. And, but we're all made of that. That's just flesh. It's going to die and it's going to rot. You're made in his image. You say, well, God's talking to himself here in verse 1. Absolutely, and you do too. Go to Psalm chapter 77. Let me show you a couple verses on this. I thought this was kind of interesting, so uh, I'll just show it to you. Look at Psalms chapter 77. Because people stumble up on this stuff, and the reason they stumble up on it is because they can't explain every single little thing there is about it. Well, the Trinity, I can't, you know, like, okay, so you can't just accept some things by faith? You have to. Everybody has to. No matter what you believe, you're forced to accept some things by faith because nobody has all the answers outside of a Bible. Anywhere. So some things just have to be accepted by faith. God tells us He's a Trinity. He's three parts. Psalm chapter 77 and verse number 6. I, th- I thought this was interesting. I call to remember my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. You know what he's doing? He's talking to himself. You talk to yourself. You know why? You're made in his image. God's revealing things to his son, Jesus Christ, to give to his servants. Look at another one. Look at Psalms chapter 4. And by the way, you ought to talk to yourself. You ever look in the mirror and ask yourself what you're up to? You know, what are you up to now, you stinking, dirty, rotten rascal? You ever tell yourself, I should stop thinking that way? Knock it off. You should. You really should. You should talk to yourself that way. You know the devil can't read your mind. The Holy Spirit of God can. The devil can't read your mind as far as I can tell from a Bible. But as far as I can tell from a Bible, he can shoot thoughts into your head. You're told to gird up the loins of your mind and to put on the helmet of salvation. Because he can put thoughts in your head. Some of you had some stupid thoughts, haven't you? Yeah, sometimes they're kind of random. You don't even mean it. But they come in. You better commune with yourself. The Lord created you in His image and God talks to Himself. (laughs) That's kind of interesting. Psalm 4.4 Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. You ever talk to yourself? The right way. You should. Why, why am I thinking this way? Why am I acting this way? 
Am I going down? You know what I do sometimes? You know what? I think you're going down the wrong path. And I think if you don't stop that kind of thinking, if you don't stop feeling that way about this, you know, you know I've changed the way I feel about things by deciding I don't feel that way anymore. Yeah. You know what? Uh-uh, I'm, I'm not doing this. Not doing this. We try to do it on the house. Hey, guys, uh-uh, we're not going this way. Commune with yourself. God does. Let me show you one more. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I'm sorry, but while we go through Revelation, I don't want to get so much dry doctrine that you fail to get something that helps you in your daily life, okay? We're not going to operate it like it's a Bible institute. We're gonna, we, need, we need stuff from God every time. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse number 16. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and I have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I gave my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and folly. I perceived that this also is a vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. You know what the wisest man in all the earth did? He talked to himself. Isn't that interesting? It's just a matter of what you're saying. Back to Revelation chapter 1. Let's get, let's get back into the doctrine of this. He says, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto us, right? To show unto his servants. So God doesn't teach his Bible to people that aren't his servants. See, we didn't get out of verse 1 yet, and it's been uh, 15, uh, about 18 minutes probably. There's a lot more in this Bible than meets the eye. You want God to teach you the Bible, right? Sure. Who does he give it to? So you turn on YouTube and you start listening to some guy start talking about the Bible and you don't even know whether he's saved or lost. Oh, he's a great speaker. So? He really captivated my attention. A lot of people can do that. The flesh, like I was talking about this morning, can do that. God can put that gift in somebody and enable them to do it. And they can stop submitting that to God and be running on the good graces of God and a gift God gave them without even being filled with God's Spirit to do it. Yeah. You want God to give you truth? You better be one of His servants. Be, be serious about serving Him and continue that way. First of all, that's salvation. If you're not saved, you've got to get saved. You cannot understand the Bible without the Spirit of God teaching you. You need not that any man teach you save the Spirit of Christ. You say, well, then what are you doing there? Well, how can you accept some man guide me? So those are both passages in the Bible that seem like an opposition to each other. They seem like a dichotomy, but God set it up. God gifts a man to get up and teach you, so you're supposed to be there to listen and to learn. But when that thing clicks and things are making sense and you're getting something out of it, that is the Spirit of God teaching you. A man can't teach you that stuff. That makes sense? It's God that does the teaching. So he shows the stuff to his servants. And notice something else, things which must shortly come to pass. Well, I like that. <laughs> I've already lived my life, as one of my kids told me. You know? I'm ready to go. I hope it happens soon. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So, think about it from God's perspective. A day with the Lord is as a... And a thousand years is as... So you mean from God's perspective, since Calvary, it's not even been two full days yet? Right. 
Now, for you and I, you say, 2,000 years? Yeah, it's a long time because you're promised 70 and by reason of strength, four score 80. And with medicine and the right kind of drugs at the right time, they can probably drag it along and make your misery last another 10, maybe 15, so you can really, really, really suffer. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. So you can make it longer? You ever, you, ever, you ever talk to some people that are really, really old and they're hurting everywhere? And they're, they're, they're trying to keep their mind and they're medicated to death and, well, we've made great strides in science, really. I mean, I mean yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for it. Trust me. <laughs> I'm not knocking all of it. But I'm just saying God said three score and ten and by reason of strength, four score. Good, healthy, strong diet, you know. Maybe you can make it a little longer, right? But that's, that's, that's a long time then, 2,000 years. If you get 80, what a, what a blip on the 80 years. What a blip on the screen. And so we look at it and go, man, he's been saying that for a long time and he still hasn't come. But God's like, it's been two days, man. Any of you parents besides me? <laughs> to a kid? Christmas is never going to be here, right? To you and me, we're like, man, the cash is already rolling out, and <laughs> Friday still ain't here yet, but there ain't enough Fridays between here and there. It's like on top of us, right? Amen. Why? Because the older you get, the faster time goes, doesn't it? Could you imagine being the ancient of days? Was, is, and is to come. Could you imagine already being in eternity? Could you imagine already sitting out on the other side off in eternity future and all this is already over from your perspective and some little ants are running around the backside of some galaxy somewhere that aren't even visible to the naked eye. They're so tiny. And he said that forever. <laughs> God, has, God has a sense of humor, folks. I'm telling you, he looks at us and just laughs. Well, I just don't believe anymore because I, I've just seen it just took so long and they've been saying that for so long. Okay, it's coming quick. Now, now I'm going to dial that in in just a minute a little bit more. So file that in the back of your head. Verse 2. Man, we are making great time. Verse 2. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things which he saw. So John, John's the one that bear record of the word of God. And of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he's an eyewitness of all things which he saw. So all you and I got left is we've got the testimony of Jesus and we've got the Word of God, but we haven't laid eyeballs on it, right? right. He gave some, Ephesians 4, He gave some apostles, yeah. some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So file this away because we're going to come back to it as we go through Revelation here around about chapter 3 or so. You still have the apostles and the prophets but it's not a man behind a pulpit that you're looking at claiming to be a prophet or an apostle. The apostles were people that had to be eyewitnesses. They laid eyes on Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. The prophets were penning things down before the apostles ever came along. You still have the apostles and prophets. He gave some for the edification of the saints, for the work of the ministry, to help you understand the Bible, to help you grow. They're right here. Apostles and prophets are right here. John was one of those apostles. He saw Jesus Christ. He bore eyewitness to him. And he made testimony writing down the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, which I'll dial that in for you here in just a second. You still have apostles and prophets. Then you have 
evangelists. Now, there's not a whole lot of them anymore. By the strictest sense of the term, an evangelist is somebody who evangelizes, which is wins souls to Christ. Um, um, Philip had four daughters. They were evangelists. They prophesied. They, they were preaching Jesus to people and winning souls to Christ. So ladies, I know that you're not, according to the Bible, you don't hold a position in the church as a pastor and teacher, right? But you still can be a preacher. You give people the gospel, you're preaching Jesus. And some of you have a gift to be able to win people to Jesus Christ and you just don't know it and you haven't exercised it. Because it's not a common thing in the church now. It's like, well, we're supposed to be quiet. We just go home and take care of our husband, take care of our kids. And some, some work a job, some don't. In some of the circles, it's like a sin for a woman to work a job. Not here, but in some circles it is. And so it's like, well, we just, well, I mean, how do you know you don't have the gift to soul win if you don't try? Do you know, do you know women have a little bit more of a natural ability to be compassionate than men do? You know how much easier it is sometimes to win somebody to Christ if they feel like you actually care about them and you sat and listened to them and you were sweet? And the older you get, you ladies need to hear me, the older you get, the more power you have. Because some of these young girls nowadays never had a mama that cared. And if they could find a sweet older woman who loved them, they'd be all ears. Do you see what I'm trying to say? So evangelists, under the strictest of biblical definitions, are people that spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are never going to get in a pulpit and preach a message, or preach in a jail, or preach in a nursing home. But you can spread the gospel, and you may have a gift on it, and you may be able to lead more people to Christ than you're doing. You should pray about that. That's a gift to the church. The whole church loves it when baby Christians come in that just got saved. There ain't nothing like it, man. When you join a church, you know, you ain't been there for a while. You join a church and somebody gets saved and somebody gets saved and somebody gets saved. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Another one, like nowadays especially, it edifies the entire church to see. Listen, if it's a good church, if it's a healthy church, there ain't nothing like seeing visitors walk in the door, is there? We could do a little better than that, you know? I mean, like, I, I, to me, it, it's a blessing. I like to see, I like to be a part of a church that's growing and reaching people. It's a gift of evangelism. Now, that thing, culturally speaking, and I'm not against this. I don't think it's wrong, okay? I'm not drawing battle lines here and, you know, making an issue out of this. Culturally speaking, evangelists have become guys that travel around from church to church and preach, when a guy's really got the gift of evangelism and he travels from church to church and preaches, people get saved when he goes. Paul instructs Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Try to lead people to Christ. It doesn't mean the pastor's supposed to be traveling the country. Not every pastor should. That's actually kind of a rare thing. For the most part, God wants pastors to pastor their church, not get socially connected and be bouncing all over the place. I thank God for some that do, don't you? It's a special gift that not everybody has. And the proof is in the pudding because churches all over the nation benefit and are strengthened and helped and pastors are still pastoring. And, and he's helping out in phenomenal ways because he has a special gift. Dr. Ruckman had it. Uh, Brother Peacock has it. But it's not very common. 
Most preachers can't go from their own culture and their own pulpit to another pulpit and have the sense to kind of be able to really be effective and help and feel the thing out and know what to do when, and that's a special gift. But that's not technically evangelism per se. I don't know of a whole lot of really solid evangelists. I will say in my generation, the only one that I know of uh, that is actually an evangelist, and I don't know of any preachers, pastors, that are evangelists. I'm not saying they're not out there. I'm saying I don't personally know them that I'd say, yeah, that guy's called the pastor and travel around everywhere. Not, not younger guys. That, to me, feels like a father thing in the ministry or an elder thing in the ministry. But I know of one guy in my generation, in my opinion, that's Brother Pilkington. He's definitely got a gift to go from church to church and preach to him. And he tried pastoring for a couple of years, and he looks at me and says, I don't know how you do it. And I look at him and say, I don't know how you do it, man. Forget that junk, you know. I mean, I, I just, all over the place. I got my schedule. You understand what I'm saying? Get up at a certain time, go to bed at a certain time. You know how much that messes me up when I'm three hours off? I'm not saying I, I'm not willing to do that, I, but that's got to be God in my opinion. I don't want nothing to do with anything that ain't God. That's got to be God. So that's a gift. So you have that aspect of evangelism. And then you got pastors and teachers. And they're there to show you what the apostles and prophets said. See, a pastor is to be apt to teach. So it's pastors and teachers. They go together. So that's what you've got left. John is one of those. He gives you the record of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So what is that? Go to Revelation chapter 19. This is, this is an amazing thing about the Bible. Revelation chapter 19. Look at verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Watch it. Here's a definition of what the testimony of Jesus is. Okay, so you'd say, well, the testimony of Jesus, yes, I'm saved. Jesus is my Savior. That's not what the Bible says the testimony of Jesus is. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Ain't that interesting? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now watch how this practically lays out. Luke, you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. So where are you going when you die? How do you know that? It's simple. It's, a, it's not a trick question. Because I trusted Jesus as my Savior. You know, he didn't have to stop and think, like, where am I going to go when I die? Well, I'm hoping that I'm going to go. No, that's something. See? You ever witness to somebody say, you know, do you know for sure where you're going when you die? Well, I think, boom, right there, I, I'm okay. Yeah. They're not saved. Or they're saved and they didn't stay in it and they've forgotten everything they learned, but more than likely they're not saved. Why? Because the testimony of Jesus Christ is a spirit of prophecy. You guess where I'm going when I die? I am foretelling the future. Not, now it's more than that. Because go back to chapter 1, bear record of the Word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that He saw. So you'll notice continually that the testimony of Jesus is connected with the Word of God. Look at verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. What was he there for? He was exiled to the isle of Patmos for what? The Word of God. Do you see the small w? That's the written word. 
and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know what's a phenomenal thing to me? So many people that you know, don't believe the Bible's inerrant and infallible and inspired and make fun of King James Bible-believing people, right? You know what they always do when it comes to the Word of God, when it's talking about the written Word? They always capitalize the W, showing reverence for the Word of God. When they don't believe the Bible at all, they're correcting it, they're changing words, they're rewriting it, they're making money on the copyrights. When God refers to the Bible in the Bible, He uses a small W so you know He's talking about the words. When He's talking about Jesus Christ, He uses a capital W because one of the names of Jesus Christ is, a cap, is, is the Word of God. Go to John chapter 1, let me show you what I'm talking about. In the beginning was the Word. See it? You see that W? It's large, ain't it? And the Word... See that W? It's large, ain't it? And the Word... See it again? Was God. That ain't talking about the written Bible. That's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The same was in the beginning with God. You know what the new Bibles do? They switch them up. So you don't recognize which is which. Now, now, keeping that in your mind, the Word is with God, the Word was God. I mean, it's clear that it's Jesus Christ. All things were made by Him. That's verse 3, right? Pretty clear that it's Jesus Christ? Okay, so there's a capital W. Now go over to Revelation chapter 1 again. See, this is how you learn your Bible, guys. I know it's maybe tedious to you, but this is how you learn. You gotta, you gotta look at it. You gotta slow down and study it. You gotta notice the details. Who bear record of the word of God? You see the small W and the testimony of Jesus Christ and the things that He saw. He's bearing record of the Bible and the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy and the things which He saw. Let me show you a couple more verses. Go to Isaiah chapter 41. I'll show you something about God. This is one of the ways I'm trying to strengthen your faith in your Bible. I hope you appreciate that. Amen. I, what I'm not trying to do is I'm not trying to brainwash you into a religion. I'm not trying to convince you to join my church. I'm not trying to pressure you to see things my way. I hope you appreciate that. I really do. I'm not being a jerk or sarcastic. I hope you have an appreciation for that. I don't, want, I don't want to force you to see it my way. I want to teach you the Bible. I want the authority in your life to be God and the Word of God. And that's the authority, see? So, so it, well, what about you? What about me? I got nothing to defend. I'm here to teach and preach the Bible. You want to go against that, then you're going against me. That's the, that's the backbone of this entire church. That's the foundation. That's the beginning and the end. It's the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God shows us who Jesus Christ is, and isn't He the one that saved us? Isn't this why we're here? Isn't this the only way we know we're going to heaven? Isn't that our desire is more knowledge of Him? Then it's Bible. You, you don't like that? Then that's the wrong place for you, and I know you love it. I'm not harping at you. I just get fired up about this stuff. I can't help it. Isaiah chapter 41, look at verse 23. No, excuse me. I want to um, look at verse 22. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. So, so that's the, while the Lord's calling them out, you kind of need to see that. Forgive me here for a second. Hang on one minute. Uh, verse 20. 
that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this, and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. Now, I, now that's what I want to know, right? Especially when it comes to religious things and things about my soul. Uh, I want to know it's the hand of God. How do you know the Bible's the Word of God? I want to see the hand of God in it. Do you? Yeah. Right? So that's, that's faith. It's substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is. Yeah. Oh, you just have blind faith. No, doofus. You got blind faith. <laughs> in a textbook and in some kind of a professor. We're not talking about blind faith. Our faith has substance and it has evidence. How is it people are willing to die for this? Watch their children slaughtered. Mama's standing on a cliff while the Catholic Church starts with the youngest and chucks it off the cliff and the baby, or the, the, the oldest, the, the, her child shatters all over the rocks below, deny Christ, no, and go right down the line until they rip the baby out of her hands, her infant, and chuck the baby off the cliff and the baby splatters to death on the rocks below, deny Christ. How's a mom do that? And there's, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of stories of that down through history. This ain't fake, man. There's substance to it. There's evidence to it. There's a conviction there. There's something real. You want to see the hand of God? He said, all right. Now God's calling him out. Verse 21, produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reason, saith the king of Jacob. God's like, you got an argument? Come on. Go ahead. Bring it forth. What do you got for me? Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Tell me the future. That's what he's saying. Come on, tell me the future. You got an argument? Let's go. You think you're God? You think you know everything? Forecast for me. Tell me what's going to happen when you pull out here. Tell me what you're going to think, what you're going to see, exactly what's going to happen. You can't forecast your future. God can. And He shows you He can do it by giving you the Word of God. Let them show the former things. Tell us about the past. How many of you know history? Oh, I know history. Are you sure? Are you watching the way they're rewriting history? Are you watching the way people 20 years younger than you that are now becoming the business professionals and they're getting voted into office? There's some people getting voted into office and I see in the picture and I'm like, that one looks like it could call me dad. And that's a, that's a, that's a political leader in our country on the highest levels. That's kind of weird. Oh, just give it a little, little more time. Do you know what's happening? They, they don't even know history. You know, you're, you're only truly... Act, you, listen, I'm sorry about this. Forgive me for a minute. But even a lot of Bible-believing Baptists rewrite history to make it fit their agenda. You know the only true, accurate history you actually have? That's the only one you got you can be absolutely 100% guaranteed of. The rest of the stuff was written by a man based on human bias and the agenda they are trying to get done when they wrote the book and how they researched and the type of research they did and the sources they chose to go through. You know, it's not so easy to research as you think it is. You know, when you research something, you need to research the research. Oh, I read an article. Okay, who wrote it? What pool of studies was it taken from? How big was the pool? 
what's the agenda and the viewpoint of the author. You want history? You want an accurate history? I mean, so accurate that when God says, David, I want you to write, tell him all about how you're a man after God's own heart and all the great things you did and the victories you won. We're going to talk about Goliath and we're going to talk about how you humbled yourself and didn't come back after Saul and shed his blood when he was trying to shed your blood because you submitted to me and when somebody did you wrong, you reacted the right way rather than the wrong way. We're going to talk about what a great wise man you were and how much I did with you and how much I loved you and how I gave you sure mercies. And you're going to talk about Bathsheba and how you murdered her husband and took, oh God, do we have to talk about that? Yeah, we're going to talk about that too. Talk about an accurate history. There ain't a man on the planet that would write the Bible like that. Abraham, we're going to tell him all about what you did, how you left your father, the early Chaldees, and you followed me, and you know, I gave a promise to you, and I appeared to you, and I spoke to you as a friend, and we're going to tell him what a coward you were. When you took your wife in there and assumed and you took, tell her, tell her, hey, tell them you're my sister and, 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 and how a coward you were. You were willing to let them have their way with your wife to save your own skin. God, do we have to tell them that part? Yeah, we're, we're giving history. Talking about the former things. You know where you got an accurate recording of history? In your lap. Now, I'm, not against being, I'm not against studying history. I'm against preaching it as though if, if you're not a history buff like me, then you only thing men learn from history is men never learn from history. Yeah, I get that. I totally understand that. Start to finish, top to bottom, inside out, backward and forward, I get that. But the reality is, you can't build a ministry or a Christian life off of history unless you're building it off of the one that really matters, the only one you know is accurate. It's right here. God says, tell me the former things. That we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare us things for to come. For what's the purpose? That we may consider them and know the, how they wrap up. Show the things that are to come hereafter. That ye may know that ye are gods. He's calling them out. Ye do good or do evil. That we may be dismayed and behold, it is together. Behold, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught. An abomination is he that chooseth you. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come from the rising of the sun. Shall he call upon my name, and he shall come upon princes as upon mortar, and as a potter treadeth clay. Who hath declared from the beginning that we may know? Who? Who declared from the beginning that we may know? In the beginning... Yeah, and the first book of the Bible... You jumped ahead of me. I was going there next. In the beginning, God. But what was in the beginning at the beginning? God. But what was there before? There was nothing before. Where did he come from? God. In the beginning, God. That's how the Bible starts. He don't have to justify himself. He don't have to tell you, well, here's... He, he always was. In the beginning, God then created the heaven and the earth. Then you go to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the... And the word was with God and the word was God. He's, he's telling them who hath declared from the beginning. God did. That we may know. He wrote it down. I just quoted it to you. Genesis 1.1. John 1. He gave it to you in your lap so you can know. We're talking about the word of God. We're talking about the testimony of Jesus, which is the, word, which is the spirit of prophecy. 
And we're telling you that the two of them are so intertwined, you can't have Jesus without a Bible. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by... By the way, it's a small w. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. And for by grace are you saved through faith. And faith cometh how? And hearing by what? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Isn't that a trip? You see how they're so intertwined, you don't even have salvation in Jesus Christ? Hey, uh, uh, verily, verily, I say unto thee, you must be born again, right? Uh, Born by the what? Word? (laughs) Wow. So you have to be born again. You have to have Jesus Christ in your heart, but you've got to do it according to the Bible. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have in the eternal life that you may believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. These things have I what unto you? I, John, I'm in the Isle of Patmos for the test for the Word of God. They hate the Bible. You know why they hate the Bible? Because they hate Jesus Christ. You know why they hate the book of Revelation and try to tell you it's figurative and all that stuff? Because they hate Jesus Christ. You know why they hate Jesus Christ? Because he messes up their plans. Because he tells you what the future is and how it's all going to play out and what's going to happen and the way it's going to happen. And he nails it down. And what he does is he robs you the opportunity. He robs religion of the opportunity of being the king now. He won't let the preachers be the king now. He won't let them sit ex cathedra. He won't allow them to be as God, a voice of God on earth. He won't allow them to change doctrine. The doctrine's written in your lap. You have it in front of you. God put it down in the Word of God and nailed it down. And He said, don't change it. Don't add to it. Don't take from it. That's it. There's the doctrine. There's the past. There's the present. There's the future in your lap. That's it. You go by that. You don't get to change it. Well, if I can't change it, I can't be king. Christian, I will get to this next time. God's not letting you be king now. Now you're a priest. And we'll look at what that means next time. He said if you suffer, you'll do what? Because he's the king and he's going to be reigning. But you know what he's doing right now? He's executing the office of priest. We'll look at that next time. He's going to be king. But right now he's executing the office of priest. God's given him the throne, but the throne, he's not sitting on it yet. Not yet. God's on the throne in heaven, the third heaven. Christ is at his right hand as a priest. I'll teach you that next time. And guess what you don't get to be right now? <laughs> you don't get to be king now either. See, see why they hate the Bible? You see why they hate Revelation? See why they hate Jesus? He just, he just you know, take up your cross and follow me. Yeah. <laughs> I want to follow you. I kind of like the position, kind of like the title, kind of like the idea of king, kind of like being able to run the show, kind of like being able to write my own rules, kind of like being able to live how I want and pull God into it. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Kind of like, you know, the grace of God. Yeah, God's gracious. Pass the bong. Yeah, that's not how it's working. Verse 26, we're almost done. And before time that he may say he is righteous. Yet there is none that showeth. There is none that declareth. There is none that heareth your words. So you know what God's saying? Why don't you forecast the future? If you know so much. Are you God's? Forecast the future. Back to Revelation chapter 1. We'll stop right here. Verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, 
and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. All right? Look at the blessing you get. When he says this prophecy, he's talking about the book of Revelation. You know why it's such a blessing? Because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Ain't that what we want? Man, it's a blessing to get to know the Lord better, isn't it? Ain't it neat to know that this ain't the end? Ain't it nice to be reminded that you're living for something a whole lot bigger than this puny little 80 years, 70 years of life? Ain't it great to know that future and to know that the king is coming and he's going to set that thing up and you're going to be allowed to rule and reign with him for a thousand years and that's before the fun begins? Because <laughs> off into eternity future, he's wiping away all tear from your eyes and the former things you won't remember and you're going to go on forever, ever, and ever, and ever, and ever in his presence with the fullness of joy and at his right hand pleasures evermore. Ain't that a blessing? Yes. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy you got to have a heart to hear. He shows it to his servants. You want it? You want the truth? you got to be willing to hear it. And keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So here's the point. Now watch this. The time is at hand. Now, I showed you in verse number one, things that must shortly come to pass, and I gave it to you from God's perspective, right? A doctrinal perspective. When you see the things beginning to happen that you're seeing in Revelation you know it's getting really close. The fulfillment of this prophecy we're going to go through is coming close. The time is at hand. Let me show you one, just one. Revelation chapter 3 and we're done. Revelation chapter 3. Look at verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. We'll cover that when we get back to it. That's another one they all mess up real bad. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open, I will come into him, and, he, and will sup with him, and he with me. Now, we'll go over this, dissecting it when we get to it. But here's the point I'm making. When you see these things happen and you're coming close, you go down through seven churches and we'll see it when we get to it. They line up with seven different periods of church history. Miraculously. It's amazing. So the last church in the period of church history before the door is opened in Revelation 4.1 and somebody's caught up is the Laodicean church. That church is rich. It's the only one of the seven churches that has a door that the Lord's standing at and knocking. God's going to let me in your service. No other church leading up to them is even referenced as having property, having a building. It, it, like, it's amazing what we're actually worth. Churches are worth nowadays when you own property and own buildings. You live in a nice affluent area like this. It's amazing what they're worth. It's the only one that's rich and increased with goods. It has need of nothing. Everybody made it here. Everybody ate. Food left over. Everybody's got a roof over their heads. We, we got, what do we need? And they're lukewarm. 
They're here. We're here. We love Jesus. We're coming to church. We read our Bible. But he said, you're not cold. You're not, you're not done. You're not out. You're not cold. And you're not hot. You're content. You're happy. You got it good. Brother Lynch said back in the 90s, I mean, he was recording when I went through the Institute. He was recording in 1990. And he got to this part and he just started harping on the church. Financially, we got it all, and, but we're spiritually destitute. And I thought, man, if he could see the church today. It's been, what's that, been 32 years? My goodness, man. We are, we are, we've, got to, we've got to be coming close to the end of the Laodicean church period. Yeah, very few that want hard, straight, hot preaching. That are fired up about serving God and excited about it. Such a lazy Christianity. Just a, you know, yeah, I'm here, I'm faithful, but thrill me. You know what that shows you? For the time is at hand. To date it, preacher. I told you last time, you can't date it. You know, God's put the time in His own power. So much so that God's messed it all up so bad on purpose, or He's let men mess it up so bad, you're not even sure what the date is. You compare your calendar to the, uh, to the Jewish calendar, to the... To the Roman calendar and stuff, the things all the different ca- the, the things also messed up. We're not even sure what, we know what year we go by. Oh, I'll throw another one out there for you. Do you know in the Old Testament God stopped numbering the years when Israel was backslidden? Didn't even count them in the number until they got right. <laughs> there you go. I'll go date the rapture, genius. All you can do, all you can do. The best you can get, the closest you can get is you can recognize what's going on around you and you can say it looks like we're getting looks like we're probably getting close. I sure hope God's counting these days. Because based on that, we're getting close to Jesus coming. Alright, we'll pick it up in chapter in verse number four next time. Made it three whole verses. So I told you it'll be go, slow going at first, but I promise to pick up the pace. Let's pray. Father.